Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. All right, so the bad news is Pastor Marshall's not here. The good news is you will see a little bit more of the screen. Uh, so there's a plus in all of this. You know, Marshall really, really wanted to teach today. He communicated that to me very directly. And I don't know that he heard me say it under my breath, but I basically said, yeah, I want you to teach too. Um, and, and everybody who goes to church here knows what I mean by that. Um, there's a remarkable gift on that young man. Uh, I am not as young, but I recognize the gifting. And so what I'm gonna ask is that God just do what he does. I, you know, I told my wife, I've told my kids my entire life, you know, if God can use the jawbone of an ass, <laughs> here I am. You know, Marshall said chapter 32 was really wild. Well, just wait where we're going to go today. You know, the Old Testament is a historical account of man's efforts to get back to Eden, figuratively. But yet, the efforts to please God failed time and time again. In essence, the Old Testament is a giant lesson that man cannot please God without help. All of the Old Testament is a giant illustration of that. It's interesting because Isaiah is offering hope. The time frame in which Isaiah is speaking, he's offering hope. He's pointing to the future. And it's also interesting that the name Isaiah, just to show you how coordinated God is, there is no coincidence in God's economy. Someone once said a coincidence is a miracle of God where he prefers to remain anonymous. Isaiah means literally Yahweh saves. The very man that God is choosing to point to Messiah, his, his name means Yahweh saves. Last week, Marshall talked about the theme of the Messiah in Isaiah. All of Judah's leaders were corrupt. Kings, military, religious, prophets. Sound familiar? I mean, here we are in 2021, and we're still battling the human condition. It's existed then through now. It will never change until Jesus comes again and ends all of it. The bottom line is that God's plan was to clean house, to give them a new anointed leader, Messiah. The whole nation rallied around this promise and waited for him. The New Testament writers identify Jesus as the Messiah. They pointed to Isaiah over and over again, looking to the words that we've been studying as evidence. Look at the resume of Jesus. He's the Messiah. He checks all the boxes. He's fulfilling all of this. And so as we read through the, the account of Isaiah, we're, we're reading what God is pointing to. We need to know Isaiah is pointing to Messiah because what's coming today is not particularly comforting until it is. It, it will become comforting, 
But there's a lot of what we're going to go through today. You know, you thought 32 was wild, 33, and wait till we get to chapter 34. And yes, we're going to read all of that today. And it's amazing how God is constantly using Isaiah to point down the road. There's almost three levels of things at work here. Isaiah is speaking to the nations at the time of what's coming in the somewhat near future. He's also looking ahead to the coming Messiah, and he's looking ahead to the end of times. There's a lot of things that Isaiah is speaking to here. It's important to know that Isaiah is looking ahead to the future, the similarities to what we read, and what we have seen and what we do, do see are not to be dismissed. And so the theme of the Messiah is going to grow and grow as we continue to read the ups and downs, the tribulation, the persecution, the exile, and then the return of the Messiah. The main message here is trust God. He will send a deliverer, just like Moses, but better. He will rule with righteousness, heal people, open eyes, set slaves free. He will conquer the enemy. He will punish evil. This was the hope for Judah. This is our hope as well. It is so important that as we begin to read Scripture today, you have an expectation. If you don't have an expectation for what you need God to do in your life, for God to do something in your life, you could likely walk out of here with nothing. So I'm going to ask you on the front end, you know, Marshall ends services with, what does this mean for me? Lord, what did you want to speak to me today? I'm going to ask you to think about that right now. Lord, what do you want to speak to me today in these next minutes? What do you want to communicate to me? Can you take a moment and do that? Can you just try to push away all of the noise of life and ask God to meet you today? right here, right now, with his word, that something comes out of this. Today, let's behold this Messiah, what he promises to accomplish, and ask God to do what he does best. Let's open the Bible to Isaiah chapter 33. Now, just a quick note. If you have a Bible with you, cool. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. These are not the holy paprius it was written on. You can write in your Bibles. I really recommend you bring the highlighters and you write, and if you're confident, write in pen. If you're like me, pencil sometimes. Uh, I'm a left-hander. I can't read my own writing, so I sometimes have to go back over it. But it's important to kind of allow God to speak things to you that mean something to you, because years from now, I opened up a, a Bible that I've had as a study Bible of mine for probably 25 years, and I open it up, and I see this entire world of my life jump out. And it's because I took the time to write in the, 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 the little areas of, of the Bible, margins and things, some notes. So see what God says to you, beginning in verse 1. Ah, you destroyer. <laughs> can I just stop for a second? You can tell we're going to have some fun today. It starts with the comforting words, ah, you destroyer. Interesting that the word ah is the Hebrew word hoy, which means alarm, grief, also woe. Woe, you destroyer. Ah, you destroyer, who yourself have not been destroyed. You traitor, 
whom none has betrayed. When you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. When you have finished betraying, they will betray you. O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. At the tumultuous noise, peoples flee. When you lift yourself up, nations are scattered, and your spoil is gathered as caterpillar gathers. As locusts leap, it is leapt upon. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Behold, their heroes cry in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. The highways lie waste. The traveler ceases. Covenants are broken. Cities are despised. There is no regard for man. The land mourns and languishes. Lebanon is confounded and withers away. Sharon is like a desert. Bashan and Carmel shake off their leaves. Let's pause for a second. This chapter opens up on the events of 2 Kings 14 through 16. So if you want to double back, make a note, you can read the events in 2 Kings 14 through 16. And this is where we're picking up. The Egyptian alliance of Isaiah 31 and 32 collapsed. It completely fell through. Uh, Hezekiah offered Sennacherib a payoff to leave Jerusalem alone. He was, he was offering a bribe. And so Sennacherib took the money but he went ahead and attacked Jerusalem anyway. For this treachery, God declared betrayal on Assyria. Sennacherib was murdered by his own sons. Judah is weeping over the betrayal, but in verse 2, it points out that, that, that they are finally crying out to God. Israel is, is speaking in verses 2 through 4, to God, O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. At the tumultuous noise, peoples flee. When you lift yourself up, nations are scattered, and your spoil is gathered as the caterpillar gathers, as locusts leap, it is leapt upon. And then Isaiah focuses attention back onto God's people. Every plan that they put in place came to nothing. Can you relate? Can you relate to times in your life when all of your plans, all of your, your confidences in what you thought, what we thought was the right way to go ends up not working out so well? You know, the motivations of our heart have a lot to say about the outcome of whatever choices we make. Romans 8, 28 is one of my favorite passages in all the world. It says that, that if we love God, that whatever choice we make, as long as we're motivated by God, we're studying his word, we're putting his wisdom in, in our heart, in our mind, in our spirit, that all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called in according to his purpose. Young people, choices that you make sometimes boil down to, well, this is a pretty good choice and this is a pretty good choice. What do I do? Well, if your heart's right, and we're talking about, okay, this college, this college, this career, this career, God will work it out as long as you stay right before God. We're not going to always make the perfect choice. But God has a plan for us. In this part of the story, 
all of Israel's plans, all of Judah's plan, they came to nothing. And so God had to remind Israel, and he has this habit of reminding us, they were left with one option, looking to him. They finally cried out to God. What was his response? Let's pick up with verse 10. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. You conceive chaff, you give birth to stubble. Your breath is a fire that will consume you. And the peoples will be burned as if burned to lime, like thorns cut down that are burned in the fire. Hear, you who are far off what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid, trembling as seize the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil, he will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. God responds. Last week, Mark Marshall said something I thought was interesting. Repetition is the key to learning. Notice what happens in verse 10. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. Repetition, what's it teaching us? The word now in the Hebrew is atah, which means right now. There's, there's an immediacy communicated in that word. He's saying that right now I will arise. Right now I will lift myself up. Right now I will be exalted. He cuts down the enemy like thorns, burns them with fire. His approach scares the enemy, but it also gets the attention of the sinners in Jerusalem. Why? Because God is like a consuming fire on approach. Have any of you ever seen the news? Have you ever seen or even yourself been personally witness to a forest fire coming towards you? Anybody at all? I, I, I watched a couple of programs. I'm a, uh, when I watch TV, I'm a consumer of documentaries and stories that are kind of news related. And when you see a fire in the forest somewhere that is moving towards a city, there's an awe that brings about a fear because it's an all-consuming fire. Multiply that. This is the type of fire that God's talking about here. It is a consuming fire. He consumes the evil outside the city, but he also consumes the evil inside the city. Who can dwell in the presence of a God that consumes everything? There's an answer to that question. Isaiah is painting a picture of how deep the Lord works. What is in bounds for him? Everything is in bounds for God. There's not one area of your life he will not consume. Any area that we think we can hold back from God, he will find a way to touch it with his fire. 
It will at one time or another be consumed. He consumes your walk, your speech, your sense of right and wrong. Well, but I think if there's a malady hitting us in our culture today, it is the malady of, well, I think it's in social media, it's all over, I think. And what do we know about what we think? There's a way that seems right to you and me, but in the end it leads to what? Destruction. Chuck Colson, uh, how many of you are old enough to know the name Chuck Colson? Sorry, I just dated you. <laughs> Chuck Colson was one of the Watergate conspirators. He was an attorney that worked for Richard Nixon when Nixon served as president. Chuck Colson was involved in illegal activities, and he went to prison. And while in prison, Chuck Colson met Jesus Christ. How interesting that he met him in prison. So did you and I. Every one of us met Jesus in prison. It might not have been a literal prison, but Chuck Colson met Jesus in prison. He ended up being one of the great apologists of the latter part of the 20th century. A prolific writer, he founded a prison ministry. And I was fortunate to hear Chuck Colson say something to a group of young people. And so all of you who are younger, and that can be defined as anybody younger than me, all of you who are younger might listen to the words of Chuck Colson because they apply to what we're talking about here. Chuck Colson said to a group of, of high school and college students, you think the biggest choice you're going to make in your life is what college you're going to go to, what career you're going to pursue, who you may marry. He said nothing in that, in that realm is a big choice. You make one big decision your entire life. Are you going to be a Christian or not? Because that singular choice acts as a filter for every other decision you will make the rest of your life. Who will you serve? What do you do with Jesus? That is the decision. If you're here right now wondering about all these other choices that you have in front of you, and this applies to all of us at any stage in our life, it can happen. We see these things happen in our life, and we're confronted by choices that seemingly are so difficult. Circle back to that fundamental choice. Are you a Christian? Start there. Start there with your decision-making. Start there because it's through that, that filter that everything else finds its place. In this case, God and his consumption, he consumes your definition of justice, your appetite for evil. He consumes your dwelling, your defenses, what you consume, he consumes. Our confessions are not for God. We have this idea in religion today, and there's a big difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is all about man's attempt to reach God. If you add all the world religions, put them all together, and look at them and dissect them. I spent about eight years of my ministry life studying world religions. They all can be boiled down to, and even sadly, some expressions of the Christian faith in our world today can be summarized by one simple statement. 
man's attempt to reach God. Do this, do that, and then maybe you'll gain acceptance. Except Christianity separates itself from all world religions in reversing that statement. It's about God's attempt to reach man. Let me say that again. Christianity is all about God's efforts. And Isaiah is speaking to this. All that Israel had been through, all of the divisions, all of the kings, all of the things, all of the man-made efforts to reach God. There was even a tower built that they thought could reach God. Man's efforts were total folly. God said, no, I've got a plan where I'm going to reach you. And it's through grace. It's going to be through my son. It's through Jesus. So when we confess our sins, we're not breaking news to God. And you know what? I think we have this idea. It's like we get in, our, in that, we finally get to that place and it's like, and, you know, God, that, that time, God's up there laughing. It, it, it's, it's like, uh, yeah, I know all about it. But are you going to tell me about that other thing too? We confess our sins not to break the news to God. Like God's up there going to go, wait, what? You did what? And you know what? We get great confidence from that reality. When Sarah was taken to the hospital, God knew what was going on. It didn't surprise God. God had an answer. When you are facing a challenge, an affliction, God has an answer. God's not, oh, oh, whoa, whoa, what do I do now? God's not up worried and, and wondering what in the world he should, he should pull together to get us through whatever the situation might be. Our confession is for us. Our confession is for us to come to grips with who we really are, what choices we have made. And then God can say, okay, we're learning some lessons here. Now let me speak to your heart. And God begins to do that for us. That's what a consuming fire does. A consuming fire brings awareness of things in our life. Take a moment and drink this in for a second. God is a consuming fire. The process of fire prior to consumption is purification. You know how they make gold. Isn't it interesting? Throw the gold into the fire, the fire burns, melts it all down, the impurities bubble to the surface, they scrape it off, what do they have? They have a finer quality of gold. Eight karat gold is pretty hard. 24 karat gold is pretty soft. In fact, you can scrape it very easily with your, with your thumbnail. Why? Because it's pure gold. Isn't it, isn't it kind of emblematic of our life that as we get the impurities burned out of us, we become softer. We become more, I guess, compliant to, to God's will, to what God wants to do with our life. In verse 13, it says, far off. Here, you who are far off, that's, that's not just distance, that's time. Isaiah was not only looking at Jesus' arrival, but his return at, at, at a time that is coming where choices are limited. Let me just ask you, without going very deep today, as you look at our world today, do you get the feeling that choices are starting to become limited? I'm just asking. Do we feel it? God will exert himself, though. Let's look at verse 17 and read on. 
Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches far. Your heart will muse on the terror. Where is he who counted? Where is he who weighted the tribute? Where is he who counted the towers? You will see no more insolent people, the people of an obscure speech that you cannot comprehend, stammering in a tongue that you cannot understand. Behold Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an immovable tent, whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there the Lord in majesty will be for us, a place of broad rivers and streams, where no galley with oars can go, no majestic ship can pass. For the Lord our is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. Your cords, we're talking about God's people here, your cords cannot hold the mast firm in its place or keep the sails spread out. Then prey and spoil and abundance will be divided. Even the lame will take the prey and no inhabitant will say, I am sick. And that is sin sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. This is a glimpse of our inheritance. The Lord consumes everything what's left. What will the people who surrender to God inherit? People of God will inherit this Messiah. Praise Jesus. When we get Jesus in all his beauty, all the land he rules, we inherit understanding. We inherit a new home. We inherit a new family. We inherit broad rivers of abundant life and no more sickness. We inherit forgiveness of sin and the removal of wickedness. Isaiah is looking at the work of Jesus in 33 AD. He's also looking to eternity. He sees how the saints will taste of this when Jesus comes the first time. He sees the church will grow and rejoice in the promise of this. He sees the final fulfillment at his second coming. But as we have learned, God has to clean house first. And so we get to chapter 34. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world, and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against the nations. Some translations say, for the Lord has raged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the host of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. God declares that he's going to clean the earth and the nations are in the way. Draw near all people, all the earth, all that fills it, all that comes from it. Matthew 12, 30 says, if you're not for me, you're against me. It's like the Laodicean church. There is no middle. If you're lukewarm, you're against him. You're either for him or you're, or, or, you're, or you're against him. Period, end. 
Hebrews 1, 10 through 12 says, if your goal in making laws, forming alliances and going to war is anything but the supremacy of Jesus, you will be rolled up like a scroll or rolled up and changed like a robe. Just consider that simple verse in light of the nations today. If your goal in making laws, forming alliances, and going to war is anything but the supremacy of Jesus, you will be rolled up like a scroll. Does that not put our world in context? God is cleaning house. Any nation that is against Jesus is in the crosshairs. Should nations be worried? Should America be worried? Yes, here's a picture of why. Okay. Ready? For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat. With the blood of the lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams, for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall turn into pitch, and her soil into sulfur, and her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day shall not be quenched, its smoke shall go up forever." From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. Its nobles, there is no one there to call it a kingdom. And all its princes shall be nothing." Lunch, anybody? Wow. What a powerful, powerful visual representation. Nations need to take Jesus seriously because he's got a very large sword. He has a day of vengeance marked on his calendar. Think about that for a second. Think about anything you have marked in your calendar. It's there. It's, it's coming. It's going to happen. This is marked in the calendar. God's calendar has this written down. He will purge the land and leave nothing but animals. Nobody's seen anything like what the Lord has planned for the evils of earth. The closest example is right here, Edom. Edom was a case study of what God's judgment looked like. Take the example, multiply it worldwide. No one escapes the fire of consumption of God. It is not a purifying fire. It is a consuming fire which will purify. You surrender to it, allow it to do its work, or get consumed by it. That is the lesson of Isaiah 34. Then we come to Isaiah 35. 
beginning in verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall bloom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Can I just pause for a second? After 34, that sounds pretty good. Right? Right? Marshall said to me, he said, uh, by the way, um, I, you don't have to go through uh, verses 13 through 17 in, uh, in chapter 34. I said, thanks. Five whole verses, huh? He said, yeah, sometimes I cut out some verses to save some time. All right, buddy, five whole verses out of three chapters. Thanks for that. Uh, now, there's a lot of redundancy, which is why we skipped over it. If you read those verses, it, it, you're just going to see a repetition there that we wanted to get to uh, uh, what, what the good news here is. There's some comforting imagery here. So let's continue. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And sh then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of the jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Let me tell you how reassuring that was for me personally. I mean, when, when, when you're me and you see, even if they're fools, they shall not go astray. I am just wiping sweat off the brow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness with joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Yes. Remember when Jesus sighed? It's one of the most powerful moving parts of Scripture. There will be no sighing. There will be a time coming when Jesus looks and there's, doesn't have to go. All of that will be gone. Desert hearts bloom with roses. Songs of gratitude, weakness, anxiety turn to strength. A highway of holiness called the way. This is what Christianity was originally called in Acts 19.23. This is what it was referring to. Isaiah is looking at Jesus, his disciples, the church. And Isaiah is looking at you and me. So we're going to close here with a simple question. If this is what Isaiah saw, is this what we see?
If not, take some time to digest what Isaiah is saying. Circle back and reread this. Corruption is everywhere. God is cleaning house. And listen to me. It starts with his people. It starts in God's house. In my mind, with what I do for a living, I consume a tremendous amount of information. I read a tremendous amount of news on all fronts and levels. There is a shaking going on in in the church today that I've not seen in my 61 years of life. I got saved when I was 13. I sort of learned that there's a big difference between making Jesus your Savior and Jesus your Lord, though, in the subsequent years. Can anybody relate to that? Lordship is what we're talking about here. God's consuming fire, the purification, the cleaning begins here with you and I and then moves outward. It should impact every aspect of how you do business, how you do your job, how you leave your job, how you go to your next job. How you leave your job is how you'll enter your new one. Honor. Showing honor in all that you and I say and do. He's offering a new life on this glorious highway of holiness. The offer is to be consumed by this vision, to be transformed on this road, or to be counted among the nations who oppose him and be consumed. Either way, God is a consuming fire. None of us will change that. There are no exceptions to this rule. None of us get the pass because we've heard, we know. The only decision is when you will be consumed. Now or in eternity. Let's close. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.